But at the end of every single day, if you don't believe in you, who who else can, right? So you have to, you know, put your put your money where your mouth is. You're listening to Side Hustle Pro, the podcast that teaches you to build and grow your side hustle from passion project to profitable business. And I'm your host, Nikayla Matthews Okome. So let's get started. Hey guys, welcome, welcome back to the show. It's Nikayla here. And today in the guest chair, we have Kiara Ukda, the co-founder of Charm City Buyers. Kiara and Khalil Ukda of Charm City Buyers started investing in real estate right after college in September 2012. They had an idea that they wanted to build their own empire, so they developed a plan to do it. They've gone from that first investment property in a depressed neighborhood in Connecticut to investing in over 20 properties in Baltimore. They are literally buying the block. Almost eight years after that first purchase, they have been able to officially retire from their jobs and focus all of their efforts on maintaining their empire and helping others to build their own, in addition to being loving parents. They have developed a proven results-based system that allows them to have extraordinary success in real estate investing and want to teach fellow millennials and Gen Xers how to build a tremendous amount of wealth in a very short period of time as well. So we're going to get into all of that on the episode. And some of the things that I love about this episode that Kiara shares includes how she identifies potential real estate investments how Charm City Buyers is working to not only transform properties, but also entire neighborhoods without, keyword, without displacing the community. And she also shares what prospective real estate investors should know about how to get prepared to invest and what factors go into when you can expect to see that return on investment. So let's get right into it. This is really exciting because I continue to want to learn as much as possible about real estate. And I'm truly impressed by what you are building in Charm City. So first things first, give us a peek into your life these days. Who are you and what is what has been your first experience with entrepreneurship? So yes, I'm Kiara out of Baltimore, Charm City. <laughs> and we, I invest in real estate. So I invest in real estate and I bring my husband, me and my hubby along with me. And we are really looking to redevelop and lead the change in Baltimore and do that honestly with with working with tons of different people. And so our foundation is rentals. We have a little over 20 rental units and everyone gets all excited because we, you know, bought the block, right? Hashtag buy the block. Um, And so we do, um, we have some really large Um, redevelopment projects here in Baltimore. But at the end of the day, you know, our focus and my focus primarily is how do we lead the change in Baltimore? And while we're doing that, put people in position to win. And so making sure that folks understand that real estate is a really great pathway to wealth wealth building. Um, And not only that, but community development as well. So how do we, you know, add value in the communities in which we invest? So that is kind of how I or what I'm doing um, now and and real estate being my introduction into business and, and entrepreneurship. I love it. And I love especially that 
adding value back into the community, not just coming in and taking up stuff so you could rent it all out. But how are we really building up these communities? I have visions of this mm-hmm. for where I grew up in the Bronx. So I'm really inspired by what you're doing. So um, now I know you invested in your first real estate property just mm-hmm. one year after graduating from college. At the same time, you have had various roles within Fortune 100 companies. So walk us through, what was your initial career path before creating Charm City Buyers? Yes. So I was, I am a nerd, first of all. So um, <laughs> nerds unite. Yes, go nerds. So after graduating college, um, I actually got a full-time offer from a place that I had interned with in college and actually joined um, a leadership development program in a Fortune 100 company. And so what I did fresh out of college was um, really spend time in senior leadership positions all across that organization and really got deep into how do you lead organizational change? How do you manage teams? How do you lead people? How do you create and develop strategies and set the tone for folks to to follow suit and and be able to impact everyday jobs? Um, And so I was a career woman, right? Wearing suits to work every day, which was... Which was my my thing, right? Like I was I was really really excited about it, um, getting started, and then not too long. I think it was probably around the time after you graduate, um, when everyone else is going back to school and ready to party and all that good stuff. And I'm like, dang, I gotta go to work, like really. And so it was around that time when I started to really think about. Um, and be intentional around what I wanted to do and what I wanted to accomplish. And, you know, I quickly realized that maybe, you know, that whole corporate career path and working towards a pension and, and, you know, living off Social Security didn't feel quite right for me. And so that's when I really started to explore real estate as something that I had always been really passionate and excited about. Um, growing up, you know, I was I was really into real estate. I thought it was really, really cool. And so I took advantage of the fact that I had this great job and great income um, to be able to leverage into getting started in real estate. So what was that? What does getting started mean back then for you? How did you end up purchasing that first property? <laughs> I know. Great question. So What happened was I was actually, I actually had a roommate. So I had a really good job. I had a roommate, so I was able to save money. So I was, um, I had saved quite a bit of cash during that first year, probably close to like 15 to 20,000. And then my first deal, it was a three unit shell um, property. And so, um, and Chloe was my boyfriend at the time. And so at the time, at the same time, everything was happening. You know, we were trying to figure out like what, you know, what's really good. Like what are we, what are we fitting to do here? And so, um, and so with that, mm-hmm. um, we started to talk about like, okay, if if we are going to come together as a unit, like what does that look like? What does that look like for me? And so we decided on real estate after kind of really figuring out what made the most sense um, for us both with real estate being really my passion. So I found that three unit shell. We bought it for about $26,000 cash. Um, And then we partnered up with a nonprofit actually who had a similar mission to us, which was how do we go into these um, forgotten and overlooked communities and turn vacant houses into homes? 
And so we working with that nonprofit, we actually got the rehab funds um, to renovate it. So it was actually a $120,000 renovation um, that we did to that property. And of course, to make it that much more interesting from you know doing a $120,000 renovation for your first deal, I was pregnant the, <laughs> during this during the, uh, renovation time period. So I was, when we started swinging a hammer, I think I was probably like six months pregnant um, <laughs> once our contractors got started on that job. So it was a lot happening um, at the time. It was so much happening. Oh my gosh. So was that property in Baltimore? So yeah, so great question. So after I graduated college, um, my job was actually in Hartford, Connecticut. Okay. So the first property we bought was in Hartford, Connecticut. And then while we were doing that renovation, so remember I'm pregnant, my family's from outside of Philly, Khalil's family's from Baltimore. We were like, we have to get closer to family to raise our child. And so during the renovation, we moved to Baltimore so that we were kind of there for when Michaela was born. And that's when kind of everything started in Baltimore. Um, So we actually had to manage that large renovation, at least a portion of it from from afar, which is a whole other story. And how long did that take to renovate? So (laughs) were you like giving birth like and also your husband calling contractors and and, and managing all of that? So so um, we had started construction in April. Um, I had Michaela in July and we had our first tenant by like October, November. So we had actually rocked the renovation. Like the rehab went really well. It took us about six months or so um, to do the entire rehab, which is awesome for that big of a job and first time investors who are 22 and 23. But um, but yeah, so we had we had kind of gone through all that. So Michaela was about three months old when that property was done. But by the time that happened, we had already bought our first property in Baltimore. So we were rocking that entire time period of me being pregnant and Michaela being an infant, which is also <laughs> why she is with us and does everything with us. And she's all into real estate. And, um, you know, we call her our CEO because she's really been rocking with us from the beginning. Right. Um, and so... She has a she has so much ownership and everything just because she was there through it all. Yeah. And I have I have so many questions. I need to break this down, Um, you know, because for someone with a non real estate background, like anything else business, I'm like, okay, I got you. I'm with you. But real estate, I have to go more slowly with. So you're you're in Hartford. You purchase this property. um, You find a nonprofit partner. Is this something that like people know about? Is this common for nonprofit partners to want to come in and like, um, did they finance the renovation? Is that what happened? Yeah. So, so nonprofits, there are actually a lot of nonprofits focused on community development and provide um, financing, yes, for for real estate projects. Um, So there's actually nonprofits all over the country that do what we did in Connecticut. It's just that, you know, Real estate, sometimes people get really comfortable with doing the same thing all of the time, right? Um, we started out very early on in getting creative, building relationships, and figuring out how to make connections that work. 
Um, and so nonprofits aren't rare. I think more so in the um, larger developer space, they know to kind of go work with and connect with nonprofits. But I think as people are thinking about investing or thinking about creative ways they access the funding or working with mission aligned organizations, nonprofits are a really great opportunity to get some dollars for your deals. And how did that first uh, rental experience go? Like having a tenant, did it make you say, all right, we want to do more of this? Yeah. I mean, our first tenant, so we had kind of decided once we had started that we were going to keep going. So we had even bought the next deal before we had even probably put tenants in, (laughs) bought the next deal before we put tenants in the first, but our very first tenant still lives in the house to this day. And so we yeah. And this was the $26,000 house. This is the $26,000 house. Yep. That tenant, our very first tenant ever still lives there. Um, And so we learned a lot through that, that process. We learned about building relationships. Um, We learned about giving tenants like feelings of ownership of the home. So they actually are tenants in that Connecticut property. They mow the grass and and shovel snow, which in Connecticut, shoveling snow, that is no joke (laughs) as far as as a responsibility. But we also will incentivize them to just keep rocking with us. And so they if they pay on or before the first of the month, they get a twenty five dollar Um, discount on their rent. Um, We charge them below market. We took a few, I guess, from a financial perspective, we were willing to take less to have less of a headache, Mm. um, which proved really well. Um, And the things that we learned from that very first deal, we continue to apply in and throughout all of our deals in Baltimore. That is a gem right there. That is, you know, really helpful to know, like not saying that you, you by no means are like, giving them the property for free, but you're like, I could charge exactly what this can go for, but I don't want a headache. I don't want someone flipping, you know, turning over every year. So now I'm curious, um, at this, at this point you were working and, and, you know, I assume your, your future husband was working. Um, how did it feel investing these big amounts in these properties? Like, was it nerve wracking? Were you emptying your savings each time? Mm-hmm. How did you feel like going through that process? Because for some, that's a huge investment. Yeah, it is. I think for us at the time, one, we were, I always say we were too young to know that we were supposed to be scared <laughs> of stuff, right? Kind of, <laughs> um, kind of naive and, and fearless at the time. Um, and at that point, we kind of sat down and had a conversation. It's like, you know, look, at this age, we know we have good jobs, right? We know um, that at this point, we have the room to fail, right? We're 22, 23. We have plenty of time to be able to recover and adjust. You know, we have this asset. If we need to sell it, we can. Um, but, you know, if we're going to try to reach these astronomical goals, which my goal at the time when we started was that I wanted to work full time in real estate by the time I was 30. If we have these goals, then we need to be willing to put our time, our money, um, and our effort towards it. And so that's what we um, buckled down and did. So definitely, right, right in those checks and stuff, sometimes that's a little like there's an ouch there. <laughs> but um, mm-hmm. but we started that with that multifamily unit. And so what happened was once that property was full, it actually ended up paying for this, the next property. Um, and so any overhead and things that we had the next property, we were just able to, to roll into. And so, you know, we were definitely putting some of our own cash in, but at the end of the day, a lot of times the, the properties were paying for each other. 
And what about where where you were living? Were you living in any of these properties, like kind of doing the house hacking mm-hmm. uh, principle? So no, actually. Cool wanted to. That was his thing for that first property. And, and at the time, I was like, I am not moving in there. I don't want to move over there. Um, so it would have been, <laughs> been a really great opportunity if we did. But, but instead, actually, we were renting somewhere else until we probably had about like maybe eight eight or nine units before we bought our own personal home. And the only reason we did that is because I was leaving my full-time job. And so we wanted to take advantage of, of uh, FHA and all those types of things. Um, so yeah, no, we were actually renting um, elsewhere and just building our portfolio. Now tell us about the transition. When did you decide that you wanted to do this full-time and that you were going to leave your full-time job? Yeah. So that was the goal when we started. And then um, we were building our portfolio and I was in a really, really great job. By the time we had come back to Baltimore, eventually um, I had transitioned into running operations for a software development company in Baltimore, which a company I loved, like great culture. Everything was awesome um, on that side of things. But I was getting antsy. Right. I felt like mm-hmm. uh, I could um, do just as much, if not more for myself than I was doing in that, in that company. I was just, I felt like there was more I could give. I felt, I felt misaligned with my purpose. And so, Mm. um, put in the plan to, to start transitioning and just, um, going all in. So I actually left, um, my last, you know, someone else signing my checks, uh, in when I turned 27. Um, so that was almost going on four years ago now that I've been out of the corporate world. Was it seamless? I mean, at that point, were you able to take a salary? Right, for myself. So really what I did was I left that full time and I ended up consulting with them while I continued to build my my business as well. So um, so I was able to pay myself from the, from the rentals and some of the projects we had, but I stayed on their books for a few months as we transitioned out uh, or as I transitioned into full-time entrepreneurship. Um, and then over the years, I was able to kind of build, um, honestly, into feeling that okay. much more comfortable. But yeah, we had the cash flow. Um, so it wasn't like a terribly huge risk, but I also kept them on the books for a few months just to kind of ease that transition into being smooth. Yes. So that's always something I always tell people is to like stay on the books as long as you can consult, do whatever you need to do so that you can transition into the lifestyle of an entrepreneur and not having someone looking over your shoulder and getting your schedule together and your routines and all those types of things um, is really, really important. So I had that time period to get myself together um, but we had, you know, reserves, we had um, a significant cash flow so that I was able to go. And then, of course, Khalil was still working at the time. Um, and so we were able to kind of balance all of those things. So I'm curious to know, so now you've left your job, you're doing this full time. You did mention that you wanted to take advantage of FHA while you were still working. Can you explain a little bit about what that is and how having a job helps? Yes. So we knew that we wanted to have own our own home. We wanted to kind of move out of a rental space. And so um, in order to get kind of your traditional bank loan, your traditional FHA bank mortgage, they are going to want your W-2s and, and your tax statements and all those types of things. 
And so we knew that I was going to be leaving my job. So we started to set the plan in motion to buy our house while I still had that traditional W-2. Um, so when you're transitioning into entrepreneurship, they're going to look at your finances a little bit harder. They want like two years of tax statements for your business, your W-2s and, and all of those types of things. Um, and so we decided to go ahead and start looking at houses while I had, you know, that full-time salary, which was pretty darn good at the time and average that to buy our house. So now when did you guys start buying up the block? I need to know how this happened, how you, you know, went into it. What was the strategy behind it? Yeah. So fast forward in Baltimore, we had all these rentals um, and we started transitioning into renovating to sell property. And so we were doing a ton of marketing. So we had done some deals in an area called Butcher's Hill in Patterson Park. And we had done some some renovation to sell deals uh, kind of all over. And so we um, were doing our marketing. So when we're looking for properties, we actually go directly to the seller. We actually don't do a lot of things with realtors or quote unquote on the market. And so we were doing some marketing and talking to sellers. And they told he told us that he had a house in a neighborhood um, that we were really interested in anyway, or could kind of heard a lot of conversations about. Um, and so we had you know, made an offer on that property. But then we looked around and was like, you know, if we're going to buy this house, we're going to have to look at all these houses around it. And, you know, we were really the first investors, active investors to go in and, and really start renovations. And so we're like, if we're doing it, like we're going to go, we really have to go. And so we reached out to all the other um, owners in the area and we started to, to get properties under contract until um, we got in contact with one owner that kind of owned a vast majority of them. And, and next thing we knew, we owned, you know, the whole, the whole block. Wait, so a <laughs> question. So one, how did you, how are you able to work directly with the sellers? How are you able to figure out who owned it and then have a conversation with that person? Right. Like, like, let's start there. So we actually will, um, we send letters out. So we'll send letters to property owners who don't live in their house. So they're called uh, non-owner occupied houses. And so you can actually get lists of these houses, or you can even, sometimes people will drive around and, and write down addresses. Um, but we actually will, will compile a list of properties that have owners that don't live in Baltimore or in Maryland, um, and we'll send them a letter to say, hey, you know, we came across your house. We think it's really interesting or, you know, we really like your neighborhood and we'd love to talk to you about buying it. And so they give us a call. And through that call, we build relationships, understand what it is that they're trying to accomplish and figure out if there's a way um, that we can come up with a number that makes sense for everyone. And so we do that actually quite often. And what is it in it for them? Like, why would they want to give up a property that they could then, you know, renovate and make money off of it? Are they just not willing to do yeah. the work? So a little bit of everything. So you have people who just, um, you have some people who park their money on in cheap properties and then have no intention of doing work on them and just wait for someone um, or the neighborhood to catch up and someone wants to, to contact them to buy it. Um, or you have folks that bought a property but don't, have the how, like they don't know how to renovate it. 
um, or you know, they bought the property, didn't realize how much work it was actually going to be, or don't have the access to you know the funding to be able to get the work done. So there's a lot of reasons why folks will have a vacant house and not do anything with them. Um, sometimes you have owners that live out of state and they just don't want to deal with the headache or um, or the liability of a property that they haven't had eyes on in years. And all of these properties are were dilapidated, like they were blighted full out. So these houses, we were you could walk in the front of the house and you know look up and see the sky and look in the back and see the backyard, right? So we were wow. building like essentially almost new construction homes. And so, um, you know, there's a lot that goes into doing those types of renovations. And a lot of these owners just didn't have what it takes to get it done. So, you know, one of the things you mentioned is the fact that you're buying blocks. And, you know, one thing I'm curious about is, do you also think about, are these marketable neighborhoods? Will we be able to sell people on moving here? How does that work? Yes, that is a big, big piece of it, right? You ha- really have to, for us, we always try to begin things with with the end in mind. Like, what is our goal? What are we trying to accomplish? And how do we get there? So one thing about the area that we focus on is, like, within, like, walking distance is a Starbucks is a coffee shop, our banks, our hotels, all those types of things. And so what happens in a place like Baltimore is that um, there are just these arbitrary lines that um, really dictate where people invest. And so we were willing to kind of go a little beyond that line and really show folks that um, you can you can have great quality housing forward and move it into neighborhoods that historically have been been kind of disinvested. And so part of redeveloping neighborhoods is making sure that people, one, understand the value um, and that, you know, you can really start to, you know, you say, well, you know, house three blocks up that is exactly the same apples to apples will cost you $60,000 more, if not even more than that. And so really kind of articulating those types of things beyond the fact that we have bomb renovations. So our houses have rooftop decks and and all those types of things. So you so you do a really great job. Um, you help to explain the value proposition of of getting into neighborhoods and areas early so that you ride that continuous continuous wave of redevelopment. And three, what we do is we we partner and work with the community association. We find out what the plan is in the area long term. We figure out what the city's thinking about doing in that neighborhood. We partner with other nonprofits and developers, like how can we continue to push the the envelope and push the neighborhood forward? So what we don't want to do is to um, spur a lot of speculation and displacement by raising property values, right? We really try to focus on how do we partner with the community and and follow suit with what their goals are at the same time, understanding that a successful community is going to have market rate housing, right? Houses that are, you know, top dollar and all of that surrounded and within communities where there is mixture of rentals and home ownership and affordable housing and those types of things as well. So as we're going in and redeveloping this block and buying these houses and renovating them, we're also helping to provide um, sources, resources and you know, guiding the, the community association and, and trying to really help to build out the entire community and not just focusing on 
you know, the house right in front of us. So we're definitely different in that. We're not um, as focused on one-off houses and, and, you know, really thinking individually, but we're thinking community development, like larger scale, how do we redevelop neighborhoods, um, which means that, you know, we're involved a lot more than what your average investor is. Hey guys, it's Nikayla here with a quick word from our sponsors. This episode is sponsored by Skillshare. The online learning community is offering Side Hustle Pro listeners two months of free premium membership. Explore new skills, deepen existing passions, and get lost in creativity with classes from Skillshare. My number one side hustle advice is to be a lifelong learner. That means continue learning new ways to grow your business each and every week. And for me, that comes through Skillshare. There's so many awesome classes on Skillshare on topics like email marketing, Instagram hacks, setting up your own website, copywriting, and more. What I like to focus on are classes to fine tune my current priority skills. So most of the classes are under 60 minutes with short lessons to fit any schedule. And since I tend to listen to classes on 2x speed, I can get through up to two in a day. I recently took a Skillshare class called Copywriting Tips from Beginner to Advanced and found it so valuable because I'm in a zone right now where I am laser focused on the copywriting in my Facebook and Instagram ads, which I know you guys might be seeing. Whatever your business need is, though, you can find a class for it on Skillshare. Explore your creativity at Skillshare.com slash Side Hustle Pro, where you'll get two free months of premium membership. Again, that's two free months of premium membership at Skillshare.com slash Side Hustle Pro. If you listen to my episode on how to make money podcasting, then you know that I pitched my very first sponsor six months after launching this show. And you know what else I did once I landed the contract? I invoiced them using FreshBooks. FreshBooks made it so simple. That's because FreshBooks invoicing and accounting software is designed specifically for small business owners. It's simple, it's intuitive, and it keeps you organized. FreshBooks lets you create and send professional-looking invoices in 30 seconds and then get them paid two times faster with automated online payments. Plus, you can file expenses even quicker and keep them perfectly organized for tax time. And the best part? FreshBooks grows alongside your business, so you'll always have the tools you need when you need them without ever having to learn how to do accounting. Try it free for 30 days, no catch and no credit card required. Go to freshbooks.com slash side hustle pro and enter side hustle pro in the how did you hear about us section to get started. Again, that's freshbooks.com slash side hustle pro and tell them side hustle pro set you. I'm so curious about the process because from what I've seen, you know, in my hometown of New York, when Harlem gets a, a makeover, then you do deal with displacement. When Brooklyn got a makeover, it's all of a sudden, you know, it's not the same people, even in D.C. So how do you manage displacement while still making money? So what we have done is be really thoughtful again with the community association. So providing resources for people who are there to stay. And so whether that means uh, making sure they know about things like the homestead tax credit that keeps your taxes at a manageable level, whether that's based on, you know, just incrementally increasing or um, capping your, your property taxes based on your income for those who are on fixed income, right? So providing those who legacy residents, as we call them, provide them um, resources so that they can stay and not be displaced. 
Um, also, as we are doing market rate housing, working with um, a nonprofit developer um, or a few of them to do affordable housing. And we provide some guidance um, and kind of almost consult with them on helping them through the renovation process for those that may not be as proficient in renovating homes, um, you know, that need this much work. Um, so there's a lot of things. It's very um, intentional. It's about being very intentional in what you do and how you do it. And what's really cool about this is we're almost trying to create a model for what could be done in other, not only other neighborhoods in Baltimore, but really when you think about um, urban communities all over the country, like how do you bring stakeholders to the table um, and collaborate and be really intentional about letting the community lead the change rather than having developers come in and kind of dictate what's going to happen, which again, has been a really, really great experience for, for us and something that I think is going to be monumental for Baltimore. I, I think that's so awesome because I, I don't, believe that it has to be mutually exclusive. Like in order for this neighborhood to no longer be abandoned, you know, boarded up buildings, then we have to completely change the the face of the neighborhood and push out all the, the longtime residents. Like that should not have to be the case. So absolutely. As you're doing this, though, I'm sure there has to be pushback and people who are weary because they've seen other things. Um, what were some of the early challenges in building this new model of a real estate company? I think the the first hurdle is just getting the, the buy-in and building the relationship with the community association. Because really in Baltimore and, and everywhere else, everything starts and stops, or at least should, with the community association. Um, and so in, in Baltimore specifically, if you want to do um, any type of project that's going to use like city or state funding or um, you're buying property from the city or anything like that, the community association has to sign off on a lot of things. And so building that relationship is really, really important. And then if you have, for us, we had a genuine, like we have a genuine interest, concern, passion to create what the community association wants to see for their neighborhood. And they're super like smart and organized and like really um, just purposeful in everything that they do. So they're actually great partners. So they sit at the head of every table that we talk um, that we're at um, in regards to, to this project specifically. And so that's the biggest thing, right? Making connections and building relationships with the people that have been there all the time. Like we, we don't just see value and, um, you know, potential in a house, we see value and potential in the entire neighborhood and its people. And so we really try to lead with that and the numbers follow. And I know you mentioned like looking for certain characteristics of what's within walking distance, at least a block over or something like that. But do you also have interest in areas where let's say there's like a block that's more abandoned? Some of the more of the houses are boarded up, but it's like it's like untapped potential, you know? Um, how, how do you approach that? Is there even a community association for that? <laughs> for board, like a, a whole boarded up block? Wow. So why aren't they doing anything? There is. So, but what happens is, is that there's a community association. They can want and desire a whole lot of things. 
But if there's no buy-in, it's really hard to get the momentum. And we definitely work in areas that are um, that have a lot of, of blight and vacants. Um, and a lot of times there there is a community association. It's just a matter of where it are you know developers, city officials, all those types of things. Where are they focusing? Um, are they getting the attention that they need? And can we help them get more attention? I think it's like as you get more and more involved um, in the development side of things and kind of getting that kind of bigger picture how things work. You find that um, there's a lot that, you know, people want and desire, just really kind of connecting the dots between what's possible um, and what's desired and and what you can bring to the table and what network comes with you. Right. And so that's mm-hmm. powerful as well for us was kind of connecting the dots between what they had and what they were building and then what we could bring to the table as well. So for someone like me who has visions and dreams of one day owning the block too. Mm-hmm. How, what's a realistic expectation? I, I know you're not just going to make money overnight. You, you, it takes time to renovate and to build up a whole block from start to finish. How long does it take you to actually start earning a return on your investment? So it's, it's going to depend on, on a lot of different things, right? Like what's your, your renovation, how much of a renovations do you need to do your finances? Right. How how much money do you have available to do all those renovations at the same time? Um, So it's going to depend on a lot of different things. And then there's also when you're doing kind of these these larger projects where there's multiple houses, specifically in in a centralized area, you don't want to have too much supply. Right. So the kind of law of supply and demand, you don't want to oversupply and then therefore have properties that are just sitting on the market that you have to then adjust and lower the prices because your supply outweighs your demand. And so there's a lot of things to kind of balance and think through. Some projects can take like a year or two. And sometimes if you have a ton of houses, right, we have a project right now where there are several blocks involved. And so that project is probably three or four years. And I think the whole like buy the block thing, it always sounds really cool, right? Like it's a really great hashtag, but it's a lot of work. And so like most people probably aren't necessarily built to buy a block, right? Like I think everyone has their role to play. And I think it's important that I'm really big on being super transparent, right? Like it's, it's, it can be challenging to manage a whole bunch of contractors and, you know, writing checks that look like some people's annual salary in a day, right? That's not always the most fun thing to do. It's really going to depend on, on how, your entire project is set up and how hard you're willing to grind for it. I, for one, am that person who that overwhelms me. That That's exactly what I think about. I think about like <laughs> managing all those contractors. And I want to circle back to that idea of, you know, you don't want to have too much supply. So that's very interesting. Like, how can you manage that? So are you saying to only, you know, as you're building up the block, which yes, sounds sexy, but is a lot of work. Yeah. You're only, you, you only want to have like two of them done or like stagger the development. Exactly. So you're going to want to phase it out. And so you have, you do a few at a time and then you, you know, we'll do, you know, two next door to each other. We'll do, you know, something like that. So we're phasing it in um, and ramping up to having them all done rather than trying to do eight at a time or whatever. And then you have all these houses on the market that you have to sell all at the same time. And was it also an uphill battle to find contractors? Because it's one thing to be really good at development and, and investing and have an eye for that. But then you got to find people you can trust mm-hmm. who 
are reliable. Right. Yeah. Contractors are can be a mess. <laughs> <laughs> so, we, so we actually have like um, like our starting team. Right. And then we have our, our backup teams. Um, depending on what's going on and it, making sure everyone uh, is doing what they're supposed to do. We do have contractors that we um, rely on and work with the most often now, which is great. But we've definitely kissed our frogs over the year, over the years um, when it comes to contractors, for sure. Now I would like to know you. One of the things I also really love about you guys is you are educators. You could be store, hoarding all this information for yourself. You could just be, um, you know, building up a million dollar company, like look at all these properties, look how much we're making. (laughs) But you're, you're also, you place a big emphasis on letting people know about this. So where do we begin? How can we start to learn more about, um, you know, real estate investing from Charm City Buyers? We're really passionate about Baltimore and bringing the change and ushering the change into Baltimore. And so with that, we've really been focusing on how do we provide um, the guidance resources and, and tools for folks to be successful in investing in Baltimore. And so um, we have what like is honest and truly like my passion project is our next gen accelerator. And so that's our family. We call them fam. They actually literally call me mom. Um, but <laughs> but that's our, our family of our, our mentees, our mentorship program. And we're ushering people through the process of getting their minds right and understanding um, neighborhoods and where to find property and, and what's going on in Baltimore and how do you identify neighborhoods that that um, have tons of opportunity in Baltimore that fit with your goals. And so we are, you know, we cover contractors and tenants and Baltimore systems and laws and, and all those types of things um, from beginning to end, wholesaling the whole nine yards. But really, like, how do we help make sure people are position to win as Baltimore changes, right? We talked about DC and how that looks completely different. That's like less than an hour up the road. And so we would be ridiculous to let the same thing happen here in Baltimore. And so from our perspective, the way to help really guide and and influence what this change looks in Baltimore is to have ownership um, and and strategically um, ownership of people who care about the community because with with ownership comes power. And so we can really start to be part of the conversation of what Baltimore is going to look like. And on top of that, right, a rising tide raises all ships. So if we have ownership and the changes here and people are spending hundreds of millions of dollars in Baltimore City, Right. As those property values and things increase, we're positioned to, to build wealth and we're positioned to um, not only cash flow and, and have assets and all those types of things, but but really build generational wealth and generational change for ourselves and for Baltimore. And I know everyone's goal and, and comfort level with debt versus, you know, uh, profit is different with real estate investment. Where are you guys now with this? Are you able to completely cover, you know, your your life and your lifestyle with your investments? Or are you continuing to kind of pour them into more investments and kind of living off just exactly what you need? Yeah, we're very blessed in that our investments pay for our lifestyle and, and all of those types of things. 
Um, what we are really focused on right now in 2020 is not only this, you know, block project and and doing all of the renovations and things that we have going on, but really um, supporting our mentees in the Next Gen Accelerator. So our goal with them is that they're buying 220 units in 2020. And so while we're spending our time managing our rehabs and our properties and all those types of things, we're making sure that they're um, positioned for success and they're buying houses and building up their own portfolio and units as everything shifts and change. So we're we're good, right? We're solid. We could we could have went and sat on somebody's beach a long time ago, but I think <laughs> but I think that um, for us, right, we're young. I'm I'm in my uh, I'm 30, right, so I'm still young, and and I feel like there's a whole lot more in the tank, and so. Um, being aligned with with my passion. And honestly, I feel like being in, aligned with my purpose is way more important. And so that's where we're spending our time right now is is providing the, the resources for other people to be able to build generational wealth for themselves and the impact communities in a really great way. That's beautiful. Like I really am inspired by you. And I want to know more about how you become a mentee. So for example, you know, they, they have to have their ish together, I'm sure. Like, what are the requirements? Like, you guys yeah. got to be ready to invest 20000 30000 Like, how, what should we be prepared to do as mentees? First and foremost, there's an application process. Not everyone gets accepted, right? Sometimes we give people feedback to kind of prepare. Because for me, I always say, like, your checkings and savings got to be together, like, at, at some level. So some people are coming in to, to buy and start doing large renovations, some people come in and they're looking for guidance. They want to invest long term, but they want to start with house hacking. And so we talk about that and how do you find the right neighborhood? How do you set yourself up for success in that space? Right. There's a lot of things that you have to think about and consider even with that. So people are coming in at a lot of different levels from real estate experience perspective, their understanding of Baltimore with people in next gen from California to Florida to Arizona, right? So there's people that don't know Baltimore at all. Um, and there's folks right here in Baltimore who want to own pieces of, of their city, but don't necessarily know the how um, or have the resources. And so we help to connect a lot of those dots. And so you want to be in a position where, you know, you you have kind of a some level of a rhythm as far as your maybe budgeting and, and things mm-hmm. like that, right? Um, but from there, we really help and support folks through, um, we have like a savings challenge. We help with, um, we've partnered with folks to wholesale so that they actually um, make their money back. So we had someone make their money back from next gen within, within three or four days before, um, which was a lot of fun. But yeah, you just want to make sure that you're in a position, um, most importantly, to take action, right? And to get out of your own way, to take advantage of all the resources and tools and guidance. And we connect people with lenders and stuff like that. Like you wanna be ready to take action. That's the most important part because Will and I, we measure success by making sure that people are in a position to buy property um, and have property within six months of starting the Next Gen Accelerator. And so with that, right, we want to make sure we're bringing in people who are positioned to be able to do that just because that's how we measure our own success. Got it. Yeah. You know, you're at the point where you're ready to make something happen. You got to be ready to dig in those heels. Got to be ready to, if we are on the, the, the side of, you know, the person who wants to invest in on the long-term property or, you know, have tenants and make, make a return on that mm-hmm. investment. Like we have to be ready to invest, renovate, get loans, like 
have our, our score in our bank and checking it together. Yeah, no, and, and it's like, it's cool because some people will come in and they're buying rental properties that don't need any work at all. They're getting turnkey properties, which is perfect. Some are coming in mm. and they're buying houses that do need renovation. Most people are not getting houses that look like ours. And we actually don't typically like suggest that. Um, but so there's there's a lot of different ways to to invest. And that's what the great thing about the accelerator is that although it's a group coaching program, we spend a lot of time getting to know people individually. Like what's what are your goals? What are your fears? Where are you financially? And then helping them devise a plan and an action plan to be able to achieve those goals. So everyone's kind of in different spaces and, and doing different things, but we're all doing it collaboratively as a family. All right. And we mentioned a couple of terms. I just want to make sure we define them. So house hacking is when someone buys, invests in a property, lives on one level and also rents it out. Mm -hmm. And then turnkey is it's ready to rent as soon as you buy it. So a turnkey property is already renovated. Yep. But that sounds more expensive. (laughs) It is. It does cost more, but then it might, you know, Maybe someone who doesn't live in Baltimore and doesn't want to have to deal with the construction side of things or um, they just know themselves and know they don't want to deal with the headache or they feel stresses them out or whatever. So there's different things or different approaches for people based on where they are and their personal preferences. All right. So if you had a chance to go back in time and do things differently as you were starting to invest, starting to get your business together, is there anything you would do differently? Honestly, I feel like, so I'm a really, I really liked when, um, I don't know if you heard this, but Masterpiece said every L is a lesson, not a loss. And so, <laughs> so like, although there are things that um, at the time I wish had gone differently, but looking back, it was all kind of a setup for, for what where we are now and where we're headed. And so I think most people would probably say start earlier. I'm not sure. Although I probably, I there were some houses that I wanted to get when I was in college that I probably should have. Um, so maybe start earlier might still be my answer. But yeah, I mean, I feel like everything I went through throughout the journey really positioned me to be better um, going forward. All right. It's funny you say start earlier. I'm like, I was so far from thinking about this when I was in college, even a year out of college. So I'm I'm just like so impressed. Like you're already way ahead of the game. <laughs> like who, what activities were you involved with? Because I was not thinking about this, but now I am. Now I am. And it's not too late, you guys, if you are too. Never too late. So speaking of that, what is next for Charm City Buyers? Yeah, I mean, there's a lot happening. Um, I, again, we're really big on putting Baltimore on the map. So we definitely, in a new way, right? Not the wire way. A great show. (laughs) Right, right. That is what introduced me to the boarded up buildings, right? (laughs) Yes. Um, And so really trying to um, portray a a new um, idea of what Baltimore looks like, what Baltimore is and what Baltimore can be. So that's that's what Charm City Buyers will be focused on going forward is how can we lead that outlook on what's happening here and, and what can happen and making sure people know exactly how to get involved and, and, you know, take part in what that looks like. So now we're going to jump into the lightning round. You just answer the first thing that comes to mind. Speed is of the essence. All right. Are you ready? Yep. Okay. Number one, what is a resource that has helped you in your business that you can share with the Side Hustle Pro audience? I love Slack. 
So we use Slack for our business. Um, once we started to scale and had a million projects going on all over the place and all that good stuff, Slack was a lifesaver to manage all those conversations and projects and all that good stuff. Number two, what's been the best business book that you have actually applied to your business? I read Think and Grow Rich every single year. Number three, what is a non-negotiable part of your daily routine? Private time. (laughs) 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 I need need time to watch BS TV or sit in a corner and scroll social media. Like I just need private time where nobody bothers me. Yes. Number four, what is a personal habit that helps you significantly in your business? That's a good one. I don't know. I, um... I try to put everything on the calendar I can possibly think of. Okay. And then finally, number five, give us some parting advice, you know, for fellow Black women entrepreneurs who want to be their own boss, want to eventually wean off of that job or wean off of even contracting and staying on the books, Mm -hmm. but are worried about being without a steady paycheck. My mom used to always say, stay ready so you don't have to get ready, right? It's definitely making sure that you're positioning yourself uh, for success and, and putting money away. And if you know that's your fear, then you should be very conservative in how you're spending and building up your reserves. But at the end of every single day, if you don't believe in you, who who else can, right? So you have to put your put your money where your mouth is and and really believe in your abilities and be really honest with yourself. And if you're ready to to make a change, buckle down and make it happen. Love that. So where can people connect with you after this show? Yes. So we are Charm City Buyers everywhere. So uh, at Charm City Buyers on Instagram, Facebook. If you really want to watch me cut up, you can follow us on Twitter. Khalil does not sign off on anything (laughs) I say. Um, And um, of course, Charm City Buyers dot com um, where you can also find that information about that next gen accelerator um, and you can make sure you let us know that you listen to this podcast uh, if you apply all right guys and there you have it Hey guys, thanks for listening to Side Hustle Pro. If you like the show, be sure to subscribe, rate, and review on Apple Podcasts. It helps other side hustlers just like you to find the show. And if you want to hear more from me, you can follow me on Instagram at Side Hustle Pro. Plus, sign up for my six bullet Saturday newsletter at sidehustlepro.co slash newsletter. When you sign up, you will receive weekly nuggets from me, including what I'm up to, personal lessons, and my business tip of the week. Again, that's sidehustlepro.co slash newsletter to sign up. Talk to you soon.